Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is another episode of CISO Talk. I'm your host, Alan Schimmel, uh, Editor-in-Chief Security Boulevard, Founder CEO of MediaOps, and I want to introduce you to our guest today. First of all, my co-host is Matt Newfield. Matt is the CISO at uh, Unisys. Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining and, and co-hosting. It's a pleasure, Alan. It's always good to speak with you. All righty. And then uh, also a kind of regular here on CISO Talk is, is a partner of mine in Accelerated Strategies Group. He's the founder and president, CEO, Mitchell Ashley. Mitch, welcome. Welcome back. Great to be here and uh, exciting panel. I love all these folks, so it's good to be with you. It's going to be a good one. And then our two guest guest stars, sort of Joan Collins and, uh, you know, special guest star. I'm old. I remember that. <laughs> anyway, um, let me introduce, first of all, my good friend, Chenzi Wang. Chenzi, you know what? You tell them about who Chenzi <laughs> Thank you for having me, Alan. Uh, I'm Chen Si Wang. I'm a former forester analyst. Um, right now, I run a cyber-focused venture fund investing early stage um, venture, uh, early stage cybersecurity companies. Uh, it's always good to be here, Alan. Pleasure. And the fund is called Rain Capital, correct? That's right, Rain Capital. Thank you. No problem. And then, last but certainly not least. Uh, the the dean of security analyst just about we only know of one doing it longer than him which will remain nameless for today maybe uh, but none other than our friend Richard Steenen of IT Harvest hey Richard you want to give your quick background yeah sure uh, former Gartner analyst and uh, moved on to join a vendor which is about the only exit from being a Gartner analyst there is but that didn't last long and I love being an analyst so I started my own firm uh, written a bunch of books about our industry and cyber warfare. Um, that's what I do is I write. Excellent. And of course, your latest book is called Curmudgeon, How to Become an Industry Analyst. But really, it's the book you wrote before you held up the, the book. Okay, Matt, Matt, you won the prize. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then... Richard, of course, the book before Curmudgeon, though, is one that I think is really relevant to maybe today's discussion, and that is your security yearbook for 2020. It came out around RSA, and it really is sort of a comprehensive guide to the, the present players in the security field and sort of their DNA and pedigrees and, you know, the whole kind of history, if you will, of the cyber industry from a from a tools vendor service vendor perspective and a great book great reference for any CISOs out there or doesn't have to be a CISO for anyone who's interested in the security industry so with that being said folks I've invited you on Matt and I invited you on today because you know we we are we are halfway through August more than halfway through August we're almost six months into this COVID everyday calamity kind of thing and and though we we've settled into patterns and and you know things we do we zoom a lot right we we don't go out a lot um most of us we wear masks but there's been really you know it's sort of a new normal and this new normal has resulted in especially in the cyber world 
new patterns, new tools, new ways of doing things. There's been winners and there's been losers. And and I think we, it, it's not too early to start recognizing now what those you know, some of these winners and losers may be. So I, I wanted to talk about that with us for a minute or for the next 40 minutes or so. Matt, as you're the co-host, so I'm, I'm going to give you the chance to kick it off. And and what do you see as winners and losers? And and we'll we'll run for, we'll run with it from there. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with everybody. And and I I thought we could start with an easy one that will uh, move us along. It, and it's a winner and a loser, depending on your perspective and depending on the platform you chose and your viewpoints. It's actually it's what we're doing right now. Video conferencing. And the ability to have mobile video conferencing really is a winner right now. Uh, there was a lot of push uh, for in-person over the last few years. We saw it really coming in that 2015 timeframe. You heard CIOs around the world starting to make statements. People must be in offices again. We have this real estate. you got to come in. Um, and there wasn't a lot of need for video teleconferencing like this. We spent money on making our conference rooms through very expensive technology, video capable and video ready for a conference room to conference room. But this kind of interaction didn't really happen. So it's become a winner as people sign up. But I think it's also become a loser. And I'm looking for, you know, the conversation because it's also exposed a lot of risks and a lot of weaknesses. And again, as stated, we're not going to slam any particular platform or vendor, but you know, quite a few of the products have been in the news over the past few months because of their ability to be exploited, misconfigurations, weaknesses in cryptography, uh, weaknesses in the utilization of passwords. So for me, the first one to talk about is video conferencing. I'd love to get everybody's opinion on that. Great. Anybody with thoughts on that? Uh, go, on. go ahead, Jen. I knew you would jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I knew both of you would. <laughs> the, the first and Gartner uh, battle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it manifesting itself. Go ahead, Jens. Um, I totally agree. I mean, certainly we everybody uses um, uh, video conferencing, uh, whichever platform that, that you're comfortable with, every day, right? So I'm, I'm on like three different platforms um, that on on a given day. Um, yes. Uh, Two days ago, I was on a, yesterday and the day before, I was on an all-day board meeting. Um, used to be that I would fly out to the Midwest for a board meeting, and, and the whole trip will take four days. And, and now the board meeting is two uh, solid days in front of my computer. And I could, at the end of the, the day, I could spend time with my family, um, I really, really enjoy it, to be honest, right? Um, but I read um, some analysis to your point, Matt, um, that um, I forgot the, the outfit that did this analysis. They said this was pre-COVID days. Um, the ROI of flying somebody to meet together in person is 10x of having uh, video conferencing because mm -hmm. the, the interpersonal uh, communication, the bandwidth of discussion is so much better for business. So that was a pre-COVID analysis. I don't know if post-COVID world will see things differently, but that was the reason that 
and humans, uh, social animals, so we, we crave that interaction. Uh, but given the state of things today, obviously video conferencing is the method of interaction for us, both for business and, and, um, and for personal. Um, but I, I think, Matt, you talked about some of these tools were in the uh, spotlight uh, because the um, lack of security or maybe the uh, not quite uh, as robust security. But I think it's a good thing because all the products go through that journey, right? When, when you are a little product on the corner of the industry, nobody pays attention to, you also don't pay attention to your security. And then when you become a, a target um, everybody's uh, looking at you and you've been exploited, then you're like, okay, we need to invest in security. So I think it's a good thing that these products now are strengthening security and getting expert uh, uh, advisor panel to help them. And oh, overall, it's a, it's a good thing for the industry. Yeah, I, and Richard, before I hand it off, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And what's also very interesting, a lot of these companies as they're growing, they're trying to create a product that is easy to use for the masses. And if that's a fine line to walk when you get with people like us, you know, security folks that sometimes we swing too hard one way or the other and can make things more difficult. And even something as simple as requiring a password for every call that you're on, every video call, a year ago would have probably been frowned on as compared to now. So, Rich, I know you wanted to jump in. Yeah, totally agree on the security side. I am not concerned with the security vulnerabilities, the odds that some nation state is going to harvest all of your conferences because, you know, first of all, who cares? If you're going to have private conversations, you're going to be using Signal anyways. Um, so don't hold the video conferencing tools to the same standard that you hold Signal and WhatsApp, those in, in Telegram and all the rest of those. So the, but the remarkable capability of Zoom to pivot and add security in a, the fast manner they have blows me away. And then the other thing I've, I've never seen before is the rapid copying of Zoom's interface. Right, so all the other platforms, which frankly everybody hates, right? They're horrible. They've always been horrible, and I'm not going to call them out by name. We all know who they are. Um, and there's one in particular that wants to load software every single time you use it. So you got to get into the meeting 20 minutes before the conflict, and it screws up your audio, so you can't hear it. You got to reboot your computer. Uh, Zoom got rid of all of that, and everybody else is copying the interface. So once you're used to Zoom. You can use the other platforms too. And I, I think back to Cisco. I always, and I'm going to, this will be a little bit of vendor bashing, but it's so old, nobody's there anymore that remembers this. But at one point, Cisco, when I was at Gartner, Cisco was claiming to be the leader in security, blah, blah, buy everything from us, as they still try and do. Um, but then John Chambers, who's one of the smartest people on the planet, decided that the future was in video conferencing. And he, pivoted the entire company. And remember the six-page ads in the Wall Street Journal for video conferencing. And he was wrong. He blew it. It wasn't the driver for network bandwidth, which is what Cisco relies on, because they actually sell switches and routers. Um, and he just totally missed it. So they were out of the security space because he can't market to two different messages at the same time. They were out of it for five or six years until he started doing acquisitions again. So Zoom came along 
Zoom won this this battle, you know, for and all the power to them, and thankful to them for creating this tool that we can all use. I, I can I add one more thing. The um, Zoom's interface, yes, everybody's copying. Um, I actually don't like. Um, it's a it's a single channel communication, right? It doesn't matter. You have two people or you have a hundred people. Only one person can speak. The, uh, the, at, at one time, it's just not conducive to all forms of conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually looking at um, new platforms that will allow you very seamlessly have multiple groups of conversation happening at the same time, and you don't have to interfere with each other. Um, there's one particular platform called Toucan Events. It's yeah. fantastic, and it's done what by... What's the name, two- it's toucan. toucan. T- yeah, it's like the bird toucan. T o u c a n. Yep. T o u c a n, and it's done by two Stanford students, and, and they're fantastic. Um, cool. If you have a chance, check it out. How secure is it? Or is it? Oh, that I don't know. If I can jump in, I, you know, to the user interface, I think what yeah. Zoom got right is instant on. Yes. It's easy to get yes. there. The other yes. things, you know, and the other thing they got right was responding to, you know, Zoom bombing and security issues, the pop, as well as. Yeah, no, they were extremely responsive. You got to get. Yeah, very much so. You know what? Yeah. I, what I would, the, the thing I would mention, though, I think the real winner in it is not video conferencing, it's the fast decision making that happened in IT organizations to yep. get on a collaboration tool, get on a get on a Zoom or whatever we're going to use. Those decisions were in the debate cycle for probably years, if not months. Yep. And in a week, it's decided. We had to. So <laughs> unfortunate. It's by necessity, right? By necessity. Well, but but isn't that decisions got made. Right, but that's just not video. They, you know, I, as I was talking to, I was talking to some VCs last week, you know, in, in the space, and their take is that we've seen six years of cloud transformation in six months. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say cloud uh, providers and cloud application providers um, is a big category winner right now. Um, because if your organization is cloud heavy, using cloud, using SaaS, moving to work from home, working from home is not a big deal. But if you are enterprise infrastructure, enterprise application heavy, boy, that's a huge lift to yeah. putting enough of the VPN infrastructure to have enough capacity uh, for everybody. It's just a, a really difficult thing to do. You know, the, the myth buster that's the winner, too, is uh, remote work. There's all that stigma around it's not productive, it's whatever, whatever. You know what? Yep. It's working fine, working great. Yes. In the offices in many cases. In some jobs and in some industries, Mitch, I absolutely agree. But there are others that has really come to light that either you need better training, um, you need better experiential uh, services for those individuals. Yeah. And one of the things that I think – is a winner and a loser. One of the, the loser side of everything we're seeing is in those IT organizations, we've moved everything really quickly to home. And, you know, we're an example of that. In under a week, we went to 95% work from home. We were averaging 14% before we did it. And I like to say we did it securely. <laughs> that said, you know, you talk to a lot of CIOs out there and, you know, moving someone home and saying, I gave you a laptop, I gave you a desktop, and now you're working from home, 
I think that's a loser kind of a concept because not everybody in the world has good power, good internet, nor the space to do what, let's be honest, the five of us are doing right now. Um, if you were in a much smaller space with bad power, bad internet, no air conditioning, um, doing this can be very, very difficult. And I think one of the other potential losers here, and, the, and I really want to get your opinion on this, it's not technology, but it's some of the people who are entering the market. So newer in their role, they're brand new, maybe they just graduated from a university or even a high school a couple of years ago. And now instead of being able to go into a space and work with people like you, the experts, and get that learning experience, they're stuck at home. And there's an expectation that they understand the difference between working and going to play some video games or going for, you know, doing things in their personal space they're, they're trying to work. I, I, I think there's a bit of potential loser there over the next couple of years. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I think another set of losers that I'm, I'm looking for signs of, so we all talk, oh my gosh, this is great. We can all work from home, especially tech workers, right? Programmers, developers. Um, and they're all saying, oh, this is great. I can move out of San Francisco to somewhere else that's nicer, quieter, more space and cleaner, and I can have the same job, hopefully at the same salary. Um, but the companies are going to think, you know what, now we don't need to hire these expensive people, and we can go to St. Louis, just picking that, or Detroit, and we can hire people for half the salaries who are perfectly happy to work from home remotely, and, and, or go outside the country. And you know what, Richard, I, I've had this conversation with Sid Sabrandi, the CEO of GitLab, right? So GitLab has 1,200 plus people and 1,200 plus offices, not since COVID, from day one. Right, right. And, and you know, on to that point, Richard, Sid has an in, a, sort of a mirror image uh, uh, opinion to you on it, in that the reason I had to pay those high salaries is because that's where the concentration of workers with that skill level, that talent, resided. And so I had to hire people there. I had to open my office there because that was the only place I could get those people. And as a result, I had to pay them a lot more money and I had to pay a lot of money for offices where... And, and that may be okay if you're Unisys or IBM or a large, you know, Fortune 500 company who's going to have offices and all the usual suspects, right? You're going to have a Boston, New York or San Francisco kind of office and a London and an Amsterdam and maybe a Shanghai or something. But for startups, which is, you know, in smaller companies, it didn't make a lot of sense because... Either you had to commit to spending a ton of money to, let's say, be in the Valley, right? To be in Silicon Valley and, you know, play with that, uh, uh, you know, cost of living and the, the, the economics of Silicon Valley. Or you do what Sid did at GitLab, which is, you know what? I'm going to hire talent wherever the talent is. I'm not going to worry about concentrating in Boston or New York or San Francisco or Austin or Boulder, and I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna be totally distributed, and and so they're in thirty or forty countries have been, and and, and he thinks that's this, the wave of the future. I, I agree, it is. But the people that have been pulled into the vortex of Silicon Valley are going to be shortchanged because now somebody's going to say, yeah. "Huh, 
guy's got two years experience. He wants 250000 a year. And there's this guy with 10 years experience in Finland who will work for 90000 So there's only one of us here who lives in Silicon Valley. Why don't we ask her? Yeah. <laughs> Chenzi, what do you so, think? Uh, what does uh, it mean? I don't know. The, uh, um, the opinions on this are split. Right. So they are, I certainly have heard a lot about people moving out of San Francisco, high rent areas, going into more spacious um, geos and, and with this working from home. Sure. Why not? Um, I've also heard um, that the, the, so where I live, I'm in the middle of Silicon Valley outside of San Francisco, but in the middle of Silicon Valley on the peninsula, um, the housing price is not going down. Um, it's um, because the the lack of inventory, and and there's still a lot of optimism that uh, it's going to come back um, and everything's going to go back to normal. <clears throat> I don't know which one. I think that the future is probably somewhere in the middle where we probably still going to see certain uh, level of uh, levels of concentration in uh, metropolitan geos like San Francisco and New York and Washington D.C. and others. Um, but um, there will be a larger percentage of workers that will be satellite workers. Um, the thing that GitLab does, I mean, they've been doing this from day one, as you said, right? But they have a culture internally to do that, to manage it. And, and I think Sid um, sort of instilled that culture from day one. Now, if you don't have that culture and, and you have to accommodate this working from home, it is difficult, um, so my friends who are uh, managers in large companies uh, who used to have their teams local, now they tell me they work a lot harder, a lot harder, doing a lot more one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, to, to keep people motivated, to, to build this sense of community. Um, so they are tired, to be honest. Um, so... I don't know whether the future will be completely work from home. I, I think not. Um, so that's my view. Yeah. I, I need to jump in and, and speak up for, I can't speak for, but speak up for the Gen Z and millennials. I have a little bit of a different take, Matt, on what you were saying. And that is the folks that I've worked with coming right out of college right now, I've been just struck by how fearless they are about technology. They don't care. It is not an intimidator to them at all. And really? they are so used to remote communication. Maybe that's that they've already been practicing social distancing because they're looking at their phones all the time or whatever. To be honest with you, I think they're the best equipped to work this because they don't need to sit by next to sort of the apprentice model. Let me sit next to the experienced person and learn from them physically. The you know, there may, our trades, that's true. But so in, in some ways it may be kind of the middle generation who, to your point around pricing of cost of people that are, might have a tougher time. I'm not sure where that. So falls. Gen X gets screwed again. Younger folks are very well equipped <laughs> for this. Potentially. Depends on the role. And, and just to throw what Gen Z was saying, I agree. It's We're not going to see one or the other. I don't think we're ever going to go back to that 90 plus percent in an office for even large corporations like the one I work for. You know, you're going to see that middle split because there's something to be said for a lot of the functions to having a campus, to having people in offices, to having 
those kinds of roles, uh, even from just the sense of community. And there are still a lot of people who suffer all ages because, you know, if you've got a family, if you've got things around you, you don't potentially need to go somewhere for that social experience. And if you're by yourself all the time, this is not social enough for a lot of people. So you're going to get that split. And to your point, Chenzi, I've heard anywhere from it's going to be 25% to 60%. And, you know, it's, it's somewhere in that 40s, most likely is going to be the norm for a period of time, right? There was a, a large period of time where we were pushing for work from home in the early 2000s, and it knee-jerked into offices. And it's, I mean, this is just the way of society. The pendulum. Yep. I agree. I agree with Mitch on the capability of uh, new grads, et cetera. I was interviewing the CISO for Great West Life and, you know, old stodgy Canadian insurance company. And he said they recognized that their their customers were dying, um, uh, which is expensive. So they needed a bunch of young customers to pay premiums and all that. And they needed to hire young people. And they both needed the same thing. And that's what pushed them into the digital transformation that they're going through, right? To modernize, do work from home when needed, supply laptops to employees, and all of that stuff that like, mm-hmm. we began with got accelerated dramatically. Yeah, my, my son, who's the, sorry. No, no, you uh, got change. My son, who's 11, uh, you know, uh, he will be starting his school next, next week, uh, all virtual. And uh, for the last semester, um, no, large part of last semester was home as well. And he, like, he manages this Google Calendar perfectly. He has, um, he runs Netflix parties with his friends, um, and they send each other uh, URLs and look at things. And, and, you know, it's like he lives his life in, in, in his uh, Google infrastructure, <laughs> the design Google Classroom and Google Docs. And, oh, yeah, he, um, speaking of, uh, um, uh, right. So Richard and I actually have a we have a weekly yeah. writing session going on right now. Um, and my son, who started writing his own novel, and he writes on Google Doc with two of his friends. You know, it's really? like they, yeah. they just picked that up well, really they're easily. Native. They're natives. They're, <laughs> they're natives. They're, they're yeah. natives. You know, no, what? we're not. They are. Yeah. Now they're digital natives. Now that you're saying that, it, it brings back to me, and, and you're right. I, I couldn't even change the the core of that statement I made, because I remember a couple of years ago, I have three sons and and my oldest, who was a little younger, was not going out on the weekends for this period of time. And I, I went to his room one day and I'm like, son, you, you've got to go out. I know that we live in the middle of nowhere, but you need to go hang with people. Go go play with friends. And he sort of looked at me. And he's like, uh, I, I am. <laughs> I came around and he was in a chat with all of his friends and they were playing some games together. I was like, oh, uh, yeah. So it's a different. There's a whole thing to that, though, that we can talk about social interactions versus online social. But let me let me bring this back to some security winners and losers in technologies. Someone mentioned, I think it was Chenzi. Chenzi mentioned VPNs, right? So short, for my, I stay short term, very short term winner, right? For companies right. that couldn't really transform and and. You know, they had to buy some more uh, concentrators, maybe more licenses. Oh. But long term, they're done. Yeah. I mean, that that's a that's Over. a loser. Uh, you know, conversely, a short term winner because a lot of the licenses for the companies I talked to that needed to expand their licenses got them for free. 
Yeah, but they needed the concentrators can't handle a load the right. It was a, they had to buy the razors for the razor blades. Yeah. Right, but well, here's the thing. Where conversely, the winner there though. What I, what I, I, was, I forgot what company I spoke to. Was it Zetaset or something with a Z? They call it SASOPS. Yep. Where, right? So instead of doing VPN back in, out, all that, you, you are setting up or securing your remote workers who live on SaaS-based ops, right? Yeah. So they're going direct to cloud, but they still, you got to be, secu- it's got to be done with yeah, you hope with some security right with with some process and, and control in place so SaaS ops which is you know and there's a cyber element to it i think is going to wind up being a long-term winner here there's a bunch of people a bunch of companies in that in that area that is doing you know largely you can call that zero trust networking right so your your endpoint is connecting directly to application in the cloud and you typically have something on your endpoint that is doing the context and, and vetting of the, the device and then you've got a shim in the cloud right in front of the application that is filtering the the access and I think that is that is the future. Um, I mean, if it's not here already, I think it's largely for a lot of companies here already. Yep. Um, one thing is interesting you mentioned VPN is um, I think there's a, there's a, a a portion of the hackers that are winners these days because um, they're they're picking on this particular mode of uh, of communication. So I was chatting with the Unit Two Two One B guys. Um, and they were telling me they've been tracking a lot of criminal groups right now is doing specifically VPN fishing, right? So the way they do it is they will look up, uh, they will do reconnaissance of who your IT guys are, their support, uh, their, their number, their uh, names, and they'll call up workers say, hey, I'm from your IT department, right? So our VPN is down because it does go down all the time. And we're setting up this new VPN infrastructure. And let me send you a portal. You know, here's the URL. You go to that portal, you log in there instead. And you know how many companies have successful fishing? A lot of them. I mean, fishing is up. I mean, then that would be another winner slash loser is adversaries to phishing campaigns. Right. 600% up. 600%. And 600%, wow. Yeah. It's interesting you say VPNs and it's uh, our potential losers, but it, it is also that ties into corporate infrastructure. We talked a little earlier. I think mm-hmm. that's a loser as well. As companies right. move into the cloud, they move into SaaS, they're just not a need anymore. Right. Yeah. Yep. You don't need yeah. a corporate internet because you got the internet. You don't need a corporate network. Um, you don't need a data center because you got the cloud. Um, so you just need that security shim that the Shinji called it. And that would be the potential winner loser as well. And I don't mean to sit right in the middle, but it is always great going to these SaaS platforms. But if you don't have control as a CISO to be able to, you know, the behavioral context, the location context, your zero access control, access controls, you're going to be a loser, even though you may feel like a winner today. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, the ones that are uh, um, doing really well, like Google moved to uh, 100% working from home without skipping a beat because they have all that infrastructure, uh, very robust infrastructure built already. And a lot of other companies that I have seen really have to scramble 
Um, they have to, you know, build up capacity of VPN. And I asked a few CISOs, I said, can't you just take this opportunity to move away from VPN? They were like, they looked at me like I was crazy. Because <laughs> yeah, like, they look at you and go, there's something else? <laughs> <laughs> This is not the only thing you should be doing. Um, but and, and you also have, you know, again, security can be losers. I, I've talked to a lot of sisters who've made these moves and they've, they've shoved everybody home. They've done the bare minimums and they go, I, I haven't heard any noise, so I think I'm good. And you're like, you're, you're, you're not. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I wonder Toast. about, speaking of in, the end user side of this, what about the whole PAM password managers, credentials management? You know, we're using so many more services. Is it getting worse? Or is, you could say the same thing for, for data, you know, yeah. data loss. The is solution providers are the winners. Right, so that all the the other side of the network access with zero trust is also named zero trust, but it's really just application user access to applications, and it's yeah. single sign-on again. Uh, but there's a central uh, repository that ties into your Active Directory, authenticates person, and connects you to the app. And that is so simple; you can have completely granular controls. Um, but most of the companies that provide that are startups, right? So they're winners. They're going like gangbusters right now, mm -hmm. rolling up. And it's a relatively simple. I mean, we do one with a company called Strong DM. I've done a bunch of interviews with a bunch of their customers. It's a proxy, right? It's a proxy. It's a proxy. You set it up on this side, comes into their proxy, and they, they hook you up on the back end with everything. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, really simple stuff, Mitchell, we were probably doing just in-house. It's still secure 20 years ago. Right, but um, maybe not as out to the cloud, but you know that idea of that proxy and adding firewalls and, and so forth. But um, it, it's interesting. I want to throw another kind of loser thing out and, and get your guys' opinion on your guys and gals' opinion on that. This and that is the security professional, the security admin. It's great to be in the spotlight. It's great to get a little love. It's get great to get a little more budget to but you know. Whether I'm spending it on VPNs or, or zero trust, are or they getting more budget? I don't think they're getting more budget. I don't think so. No, well, you don't think so? Well, let me check my budget real quick. They away. never get budget. <laughs> they never admit to getting budget. It's not manna from heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I, I disagree. I think a few years ago they are getting more budget. Right now, the budget is shrinking for security. Yeah. Because so, budgets in generally are shrink in general are shrinking. Let's be honest, across the board, and, and we're in no different boat. Companies are seeing a, re a reduction in revenues and a reduction of reduction of collectibles when they're looking at their accounts receivables. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to be hit by that, including security. You're right. Especially so, in the joke of nothing has happened. It's hard for a lot of sisters who don't have business context to defend their spends. In that same vein, though, the security people are working harder and harder, you know, defending a new territory, a new terrain. And, you know, and you could do that for a month or two or even three, but now we're in six and it's not letting up, right? Does there come a point of burnout of security, you know? And working from home, a lot of people don't have the 
the the kind of self-control to say i'm off i'm off it's five o'clock i'm done it's six o'clock i'm done right they they're on all the time and and you know burnout's always been an issue in our industry has has this exasperated that so i like to throw just from personal experience for some cyber professionals let's be honest this is super bowl time and or whatever you know world cup time it's when cyber professionals can actually if you have the right mindset you work for the right CISO, you work for the right company this is a time to really shine and show who you really are and what you can do and for a lot of the cyber professionals i talk to on a day-to-day basis while they're tired they're still excited because they're getting recognition. They're not the hooded person sitting in the mm-hmm. basement. They're not the, now the, the business disabler. They're, they're seen as enablers. They're seen correctly and in some capacity. So there's some excitement, but that, that can be short-lived and can burn out. I've seen the flip opposite where they're just getting just beat on a daily basis and they're tired and they're ready to move on. And, you know, I've talked to some CISOs who are, you know, they may have been at that eight to 12% Turnover rate are seeing 20, 30% now, mm-hmm. or anything is better than here mindset. Well. Anybody else on that? But isn't it, Matt, but isn't right now a, a difficult time to be leaving a job to look for a new one, even, you know, with, with all this uh, re- reduction budget now? They're in the cyber world, a lot. what I have seen is a lot of companies who never invested in the past in cyber all of a sudden are investing yeah. and they're looking to hire um, and looking to bring experts in or they're looking to what they call upskill their staff and they realize trying to upskill people they may already have that have been there for 5, 10, 15, 20 years is not going to work. And they're trying to bring fresh blood in and the market's pretty hot. My, my staff get regularly re- recruited. And, um, you know, I talk to a lot of recruiters in that space and the market's pretty hot. Um, the issue is speed too, right? They can't get there fast enough with yeah. current staff. Yeah, that's true. They're probably, that's but true. yeah, now, I mean, now. The, the one thing I don't see yet is companies as large as Unisys, for example, investing in training new hires out of school, which to me is a just a, you know, there's a potential gold mine there, right? You could hire 50 people. This is what we used to do at GM. We'd hire 50 engineers and we'd filter them out. And at the end of the day, 10 of them would go on to be chief engineers. Um, and even I've talked to Bank of America and they hire 200 security people a year, but they hire them at all experience levels up to director, right? And there none of them have training programs to bring people on board and get them up to speed. And I spent seven months researching that and could not find a single company that had big pools of incoming people. And it's difficult to do. I mean, I've worked at much larger companies that that really struggled with that concept. And I I have two lose. I have one more loser I'd like to put in that's internships. And I'd love to get your thoughts on internships because most companies I talked to killed them this summer. Um, And through the remainder of the year, they've either significantly reduced their intern programs or they've completely wiped them. And yeah. in the of time, I would love to throw in biometrics. And I don't mean city uh. biometrics, but corporate biometrics and get your thoughts because that is a potential big loser as well. Or if you're into zero trust authentication could be a big winner. So let's yeah. start with internship thoughts on that. 
What do you all think? Yeah, I think internship is tough. Um, I personal experience, I have friends, daughter, and sons um, were either um, signed up for internship and got canceled or worse. There's a, uh, one um, a daughter of a friend of mine is got a job offer from one of the big five, right, a consulting firm, and was happy to look forward to starting the job, and they, they got all deferred. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's worked for us. One a gal we've got working for us now who's dynamite and turning our organization upside down was deferred out of EY. From, she was supposed to start like in May. Now she's starting maybe in January. So we went from, yeah, she, and can I, Mitchell knows, uh, and it's a shout out if she's watching, uh, Inara uh, Padani on our team. Inara has just... What, their loss was our gain, right? I mean, so, so the, you know, and, and I'm constantly torn. Do I try to convince her to heck with EY and just stay with us, though EY's a better career path for her? No, it isn't. No, I keep working on her. No, yeah, Mitchell, no. we all work on her because she's, she's great. She's great. She's a recent graduate of Emory University, and um, she just does great stuff, and she's great to have on team. Yeah, we, we've won. But, yeah, so for every winner, sometimes there's a loser there, Chenzi. And if, if your What's friend's your email got deferred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. We, we don't Her tell. name is spelled uh, ZZYX. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> anyway, but for every winner, there is a loser. Folks, we, we are getting near the end of our time. I want to give everyone a chance to kind of have some final thoughts so richard i think you went last on the introduction so i'm, I'm going to ask if you'd like to go first yeah on, uh, on final I think thoughts one more thought on losers and i think that's teachers um my daughter's a teacher and you know she's just entering the field so she's great doing online stuff but older teachers just can't do the mind shift to teaching online and a lot of them here in michigan are just re taking early retirement um and here too and yeah, and I'm, I'm upset about that, right? I wish there were some way to create that. And then students, you know, uh, grade school and high school students are not going to get the rich uh, environment that they would get in school. I think I'm a digital person from start to finish, and I think you could have a much better education uh, digitally than you could in a school, but nobody's making plans or demonstrating the innovation to get there. Agreed. Agreed. My sister's a teacher as well, early 50s and diabetic. And so going back to school for her to teach is dangerous. really taking her life in her hands. And she's also contemplating early retirement or a leave of absence, which she has to figure out how to support and she'll lose her benefits. But um, it is. And, and then as a result, young teachers are great, but it's a lot of those teachers that have 15, 20 years experience that really impart wisdom. Yeah. yeah. To you yep. to your children. And our children will lose will lose from not having that generation of teachers. And together teachers, right? Having having those seasoned right. veterans being able to collaborate with the newer teachers in those kinds of safer environments at a school, I from the teachers I know were a great opportunity. Yeah. Now they don't get that. No. I think I want to say uh, that we haven't touched on is education startup, new education, remote education startups, I think are uh, getting great uh, response and attention. 
um, out school, for instance, their enrollment number has been up tremendously. A lot of uh, because a lot of parents are looking for alternative sources of educational um, environment for their kids, and because school's not given that, as you said, rich environment, and so um, I think that's going to impact a long-term model of doing uh, uh, doing education. I think that's interesting thing to watch. You know, I, I was, you, you brought up education, which I think is great. I think there's an, a, a resurgence of mentoring and not people just looking for help to find a job. People, I mean, have had so many more people reach out and say, hey, reconnecting or whatever, but asking also for some type of mentoring. And I think yeah, I've kind of adopted this. I had this mantra of connect with someone I haven't talked to for over a year, every day, one person a day. And now it's help someone every day in some small way, you know, maybe a big way. But I think in the security field, especially because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the technology and all the busyness of it and to the point of fishing for VPNs, right? It's always the lowest common and easiest way to get in, which is through people usually mm -hmm. or some, some process that's broken. So I think mentoring is a big winner right now. I agree. And you know what's interesting? We'll, we can go ahead and just be normal now because uh, with them off, I don't think we're recording. Oh, okay. No, it, it's it's still recording. It's it's in the cloud. Yeah, I see it. It's turned on. Okay, good. Um, oh, I see the recording button as well. It's up to you if you want to pause and wait for him. We can pause. Yeah, it would it would be good at some point. I do want to talk about biometrics at some point because I have to tell you, depending on who I talk to, depending on startups that I talk to on Silicon Valley, if I'm talking to the large companies that have gone very public with their biometric um, the biometric thoughts, uh, it is just a really interestingly split field right now. And there are a lot of companies, ours as well, we're implementing more and more biometrics is authentication mechanism, especially facial recognition, because you can't fish my face. Yes. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's probably not a good idea to have any kind of a, um, you know, like the uh, fingerprint thing that's uh, shared, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. So the facial recognition is, is more uh, hands-off. <laughs> Let's be honest, well before COVID, if I went to a data center and they're like, put your hand there, I'm like, no. Or put your eye up against something, you're like, seriously, I'm not leaving this place with pink eye. It's just not happening. Uh, you can look at me or I can talk into something if you want, but um, yeah, the, the fingerprint thing on a public environment is just, to me, very, very strange. At least you can't break into them with gummy bears anymore. That, that would be a fun thing to do back in the day. Um, yeah, we're coming up on the top of the hour. I'm not sure yeah. if we'll join back in. Matt, do you want to just close us out? As, so, in, uh, I wanted to thank you all very much uh, for joining us today. Richard, look forward to reading your book. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Chenzi, really, it was a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so thank much you. for everything you're doing. Mitch, as always, it's good to have you as a regular. Um, we appreciate it. We look forward to the next CISO talk. Have a good day. All right. Thanks, Thank you. Everybody. Bye. Bye.